Welcome to Unyielded, Thriving No Matter What. This podcast is for those who are committed to thriving no matter where they are on that journey. And I say journey because thriving is not about achievement. It is not a destination. It's about engagement. It's about being energized by our life. My name is Bobby Kaler, and I'm your host. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. I mentioned that it's a journey, and you might find yourself anywhere along that path. You may be starting out, you may be mid-career, or you may be considering your next career. You might be an entrepreneur or a salesperson, or you may be that person who just feels like something's calling to you, and it's time for a change. My mission is to provide stories that inspire us so that when challenges show up, we will choose to persist. I will also provide practical skills, perspectives, and ideas that will help us create the habits of thriving and flourishing. Because at the end of the day, it is all about providing hope, knowledge, and assurance that we can all be more fulfilled and successful if we choose. Let's dive in to today's episode. In this week's episode, I thought I'd take a few minutes to share one of the most powerful insights that I've ever had, and that truly changed my life and the course of my life. Ironically, it happened on a New Year's Eve about 30 years ago, and I've always called it my New Year's Eve revelation. I was 23. I was broke. I was working two jobs, totaling about 70 hours a week and there was no end in sight. Worse than that, I didn't feel like there was much hope for a better tomorrow. Instead, instead it really felt like, like life was turning out to be a series of yesterdays. And within that series of yesterdays, there wasn't much inspiration that things could be different, let alone better. So on that New Year's Eve, I worked my two jobs, and I got home from the second one, I was a hostess at a local restaurant shortly after midnight. I took off the heels that I'd been wearing since about 7.30 that morning when I showed up for work at my first job, and then I collapsed on the couch. My feet were killing me. My apartment was dark. It was cold. It was lonely. And and as I sat there in that semi-darkness, I began to wonder, how in the world did my life turn out this way? I was a hard worker. In fact, my teachers from from as early as the second grade would always comment on my work ethic and that I was no student would work harder than I did. My employers always praised me for my ability to work hard and to outwork other people. I'd always made good grades in school. I excelled at every job that I ever had. My employers loved me. Yet here I was at this big, fat, dead end. I don't know about you. But I had always been taught that hard work was the key. It was the answer. And yet here I was working as hard as I knew how to work. And my life wasn't bearing the fruits of that labor, to say the least. I mean, I was eating tuna and macaroni salad five nights a week. And I was grateful to have that and to be able to put gas in my car to get to my two jobs. 
So as I was sitting there on that cold, dark New Year's Eve in my lonely little apartment, I remember sitting on the couch with all this running through my head. And I said out loud to no one in particular because no one was around, but I remember saying out loud, how did my life turn out this way? And the answer that came back to me was that my life was a reflection of the choices that I'd made so far. And at first, (laughs) that wasn't really very satisfying because I think that my 23-year-old self was really looking for some external villain, someone to blame. Yet as I sat with that answer for a few minutes, and I really let that soak in, I started to feel filled with hope. Because if it were true that my life was simply a reflection of the choices that I'd made so far, then that meant that I merely had to learn how to make better choices. And I can learn. So it sounded simple, right? Maybe, but not necessarily easy. And to be clear, it wasn't like I was making terrible choices. And I think that's one of the keys. I was making the very best choices that I could possibly make, given the information, given the environment, and given the experience around me. And I was working, remember, as hard as I possibly knew how to work. So what did I learn from that New Year's Eve revelation? A few things. And in no particular order, here they are. Number one, to change the choices that we've made in the past, sometimes we need to recognize where we are making choices by default and then learn about new choices that might exist. And this isn't always easy. So without really thinking about, you know, too much about it, I had back when I was 23, simply followed the pattern of things that I had seen around me. Now, once I realized that those choices didn't appear to be working for me, and more importantly, those choices didn't make my heart sing or make me tr- feel truly alive and, and, and you know authentic, then I knew that I had to somehow learn about new things and new ways of seeing things. Shortly after that revelation on that New Year's Eve night, I read an article and the person said something like, you either write your own story or you become a character in someone else's story. And that kind of blew my mind because it made me think, was I merely drifting along in someone else's story? And could I possibly learn my way to being self-authoring? And frankly, at the time, that, that kind of scared the daylights out of me, but, but it stayed with me as my constant companion that would whisper to me all the time, you know, is this really you? Is this really the version of you that you are proud of and you want to be more of? The other piece of that is that when I started looking at those questions, you know, is this, is this the person that I'm proud of? Is this the person that I want to be more of? I realized that the answer to that was increasingly no, it wasn't. And again, I was making the best decisions that I knew how to make at the time. And so what occurred to me at a point is, I think I have to change the environment I'm in, if only to bring in new information. And and that was hard because that meant leaving the place that I'd called home for 12 years of my life. It meant leaving my family and my friends behind. Years later, I saw Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams. What a fabulous movie. And there's this amazing scene where Robin Williams, who plays the teacher, jumps up on a desk and he says to a student something like, if you want to change the way you see things, then you need to change 
the way you see things. Meaning sometimes you have to get a new perspective, a new vantage point, you know, change, physically change what you're seeing. And that, you know, in hindsight, I think that's what I was trying to do when I decided to move away because I wanted to, I just needed a new perspective, a new environment. And during this time, I started practicing something that I still practice to this day. When I would learn of a new possibility or whatever, instead of asking myself, could I do that? I ask myself, how can I do that? And that's a simple addition of the word how, but it helps to unleash creative ways of thinking because now it's not a yes, no, it's how, what are all the different ways? Some of those ways will work for me. Some of those ways won't work for me and that's okay, but I'm trying something new and that's the key. So the second thing that I learned from my New Year's uh, Eve revelation is that hard work alone isn't the answer. It's only a piece and a valuable piece of the answer. And this one, I'll tell you, was an absolute killer for me. It broke my heart that hard work alone wasn't enough. Because I want to be clear, I've worked hard my entire life. When I was 12, we moved to a self-sufficient farm in southwest Missouri. It was just my mom, my dad, my little sister, and me. And we raised all of our own food. We raised cows, pigs, ducks, chickens, geese, rabbits, and turkeys. And we had a very large garden where we would plant, harvest, and then freeze or can all of the vegetables that we would need for a year. We even had a, uh, an orchard that we harvested by hand, and we put up all the fruit for the year. Now, around that same time, my parents, for some reason, decided that they weren't going to spend a lot of money on school clothes. And primarily what they thought is, well, we could just wear the hand-me-downs from our older sisters. And my older sisters had great fashion sense, okay? But here's the problem. <laughs> there were two problems. One, I was, you know, younger by seven and eight years. And, and I was also really, really tiny for my size. So I was still wearing clothes that like, they would have been appropriate for someone three or four years younger than me. And, and it just, yeah, I was in seventh and eighth grade. I'm in junior high and I'm wearing, a, you know, clothes that a fourth grader should be wearing. And that made me kind of feel out of place. And the second thing is that even though my sisters had great taste in clothes, they grew up like in the early seventies and, and, and their clothes showed it, you know, and I was, you know, this was the late seventies, early eighties. And frankly, like, I, I felt like I was an extra in a Starsky and Hutch episode. I mean, I did not, I did not fit in with my clothing. So to solve this problem, <laughs> this is one of those times when I think, what was I thinking? But to solve this problem, I came up with this great idea of picking and selling blackberries. That, and they grew everywhere down there. I mean, they grew in the ditches. They grew everywhere. It did make us some money, but I have to say it was one of the toughest jobs that I've ever had. I mean, there were snakes, there were chiggers, there were icky bugs. It was awful. It was hot. It was just, it was not fun. But we, we did make money with it. My, our best year ever, I managed to sell 150 quarts of blackberries. And now that's, that, seems, that sounds good, right? Except we sold those for a dollar a quart. So we had $150 that were split. You know, we split that between my, myself and my little sister because she was in on this business with me. You can maybe imagine my chagrin when I took my $75 to the local Walmart and I was all set to buy my school clothes. Even back then, $75, 
didn't go very far. And that's when I made another discovery. I stumbled, wandered into the fabric department, and I saw all this, these bolts of fabric up on the wall, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And I saw that there were patterns. I had never sewn a thing in my life, but I remember standing there with my $75, and I thought, if I learn how to make my own clothes, I can get a lot more out of the $75. And I thought to myself, well, how hard can that be? <laughs> and that is a question that sometimes gets me into trouble, but sometimes it opens up new avenues. So there I was, I threw myself on the mercy of the sales lady and I said, hey, I've never sewn anything. This is my situation. I want to learn how to sew. And bless her heart, she was so patient with me. She walked me through everything I need, you know, and she was great. She was so patient. And I went back every week and I'd talk to her and like, okay, I got myself into this mess or whatever. But eventually, despite like the first one or two outfits, which really didn't turn out well at all, I became kind of good at it. All of this to say, I've worked hard for a really long time. Even when I was a senior in high school, I started working 40 plus hours a week while maintaining my almost perfect grade point average and still carrying my chores on the farm. So imagine my dismay when I realized that hard work was only going to carry me so far. It was devastating. It was the thing that I knew, and I knew how to do that. But at some point, and it wasn't long after that New Year's Eve, I realized that hard work was really only part of the equation. Another part of the equation, equally important, is this. What was I working hard at? And I see this a lot in my coaching. People are putting in the blood, the sweat, and the tears. And I applaud that. That's awesome. But what if they are putting that all that effort in on the wrong thing? What if it is an investment in the wrong game, a game that is too small or, or simply cannot take you to where you want to go? So I'm always thinking, are you working hard at the right thing, the right path, the right skill sets that have a chance of leading you to where you want to go? Because otherwise, it's just hard work and it may not pay off. And the third thing I learned, and this is an important one, well, they're all important, this one has maybe a special place in my heart, that hope isn't passive. For me, back then and still today, hope comes from three things, recognizing and owning choice, seeing an action that, you, that can lead you forward, and believing in that action, and then finally taking a new action and learning from it. Let's break those down just a little bit. First, when we own our own choices, we are truly owning our life. In my case, I ceased waiting for someone to show up and rescue me. No one was going to come and knock on my door and rescue me from that couch. No one. But what was so hopeful about that is I realized I didn't need them to. I could do that for myself. When we blame, by contrast, we have to put our faith in an external source to come help us or rescue us. And that's what I had been doing. The minute that I started owning my own choice, I felt empowered and it felt like I was, I was somehow claiming my power. I remember when I had the thought that I didn't need someone to come rescue me. 
because I was my own rescuer. That was and still is a powerful feeling. And that's not to say that I don't need others or want others in my life or that I don't learn from others or or that I don't love the support that I get from others because all of that is important. But I am saying that I am responsible for me and for my life and what I choose to do with it. And that is hopeful to me because I have control over that. I don't have to depend on someone else. Second, when we start exploring our choices, we start to see just how many choices and options and possibilities exist. And that is hopeful as well. Third, when we see a new possibility or choice and we believe that we can take action towards it, hope blossoms. Action is the antidote for despair. To this day, nothing makes me feel more hopeful or charged up as when I see an action that I can take and I believe in that action. Quick example. Uh, Some of you know my story of, of, of being really sick, collapsing back in 2003. I nearly died. It took two years to find a doctor who believed that she could help me recover. And when she said to me, Bobby, I have seen what you're going through. I know how to help you. I know what the plan is. This is what you need to do. For the first time, when she said that, for the first time in two years, I felt hopeful because she gave me something to act on. That's powerful. That's hopeful. And that's what we need to find for ourselves. This is something that I believe in. This is something that I believe in with all of my heart. And in my coaching, I'm always looking for for that one action, that one action that someone can take that will spur them on. Because here's the thing, it's stunning how one simple tiny action can open up progress that has been stalled in the past. So we have to find that one action we can we believe in. And it, and it could be there's not like it's there's not it's not just like there's one action. Finally, when we have the courage to take action on it, we open up even more learning and possibilities, which also leads to more hope. So hope is not passive. It comes from action. And that's why I say that action is the antidote to despair and a feeling of being stuck. So those are my three big lessons from my New Year's Eve revelation all those years ago. And those lessons are still with me. And they're still a big piece of who I am. And maybe you had others from that. If you heard something else from that story, I would love to hear from you what you found those to be. But as this crazy year of 2020 is coming to a close, I really wanted to share with you this experience because it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And it's something that has given me so much hope, so much courage, and so much confidence to tackle any challenge that comes my way. So I hope that you found it valuable. Speaking of the new year, I know that many of you will be working on your goals and resolutions for the new year, and I want to help make sure that you achieve those. With that in mind, I'm putting together a free video guide on how to recognize if we are being held back by something that I've seen countless times in coaching, the just wait voice. That's that little nagging voice that encourages you to just wait for a variety of reasons instead of taking action towards your goals. Look for it soon, or you can be alerted when it's available. Just go to unyielded.net slash goal killer. 
If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, as well as consider leaving us a review. It helps us to spread the word. My goal is to help others with the help that I needed all those years ago and provide a little hope and a little inspiration along the way. Thanks for a great year, and I'll see you in 2021.